Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today I have the privilege of travelling to Oregon, uh, way over on the other side of the world. It's 5am here and I'm awake and I'm ready and I'm talking to the beautiful Gideon Famakwa. Did I get it right, Gideon? Famakwai. Famakwai. I see we started chatting everybody and I forgot and I practiced and everything. Uh, No, that's fine. That's fine. Gideon, welcome to Rider on the Road. Uh, I'd love you to talk to my audience about what exactly it is that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Melinda. Uh, I consider myself a story warrior on a sacred mission to infuse and embed a little bit of story and prose into any technical area, to infuse a bit of prose, a bit of story and narrative in the teaching of technical subjects, whether it's mathematics, whether it's engineering, whether it's uh, technology, anything that is too complex, I feel that we should be able to simplify it by using metaphors and stories that everyone can connect with and latch onto it and say, I get that. I love that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'm hooked right from the beginning, everybody. Uh, Gideon is a storyteller. He's he's an author, uh, educator, and uh, quite prolific speaker, I believe. And what interests me so very much about talking with you today, Gideon, is how... As educators and teachers, we engage our students through storytelling, as you said, and giving students something that they can own with everything that they learn as opposed to the data. Yes, I think data is important. We cannot uh, ignore that for sure. However, the way that the brain operates, the brain doesn't um, love data very much. So we, as educators, we need to find a way to wrap that data in a story. We need to uh, put that data into strategic moments, uh, strategic elements of a story, and that way the brain will remember it. In other words, we need to select only the key elements of data that are important to be remembered and then embed it into a story. That way, when you tell the story, you drop in the data People will remember it even for weeks or for months. And I've tried this before. I would use a random number in the course of sharing a presentation early in the morning, randomly. And I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't inform anybody that I'll be asking them later. Later in the day, or on day two of my seminar, I'll ask, what was the number that I mentioned? Maybe it was a time, maybe I said it's 5.34 a.m. And one third of the room would be able to remember it. But had it been I came with a series of numbers and gave it to everyone, they will not remember that. Mm. So I agree with you. We need to use data. But even more importantly, we need to be able to use stories and narratives to be able to communicate and 
influence or empower those with whom we're working. Yeah, and, and the focus of our story today, everyone, and Gideon and I have, have rehearsed this. Gideon, we're talking about the purpose of storytelling and the why, why it's so very, very important that we know uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Okay, great. I mentioned that the first important reason why we should give an understanding of the why is because it gains empathy. So I'll give you an example. If, let's say, Melinda wants to travel to, uh, say, uh, Finland. Now, you want to share that journey of you going from Australia to Finland. In order to gain the empathy of your audience, you need to be able to explain why you're going to Finland. For example, you could say you're going to Finland to retrieve a special item that was left there by your grandparents. Turns out you have been doing some research about your genealogy, about your great-grandparents, and you now have figured out something that, uh, uh, that, that is important to your family lineage. And that piece lies in a museum in Finland. And you have communicated with a museum curator. And the curator has said, if you are able to come to Finland, maybe I can get the authorities to release that little piece of document to you. And so that's the purpose of you going to Finland. When you illustrate that in your conversation or in your story, you have expressed the why. And now we see that you're not just going to Finland, but you're going there for a purpose that is bigger than you. You're going there to get a piece of your family history that is going to bear significance to your life and to the life of your children, your grandchildren, and yes, even to the, the entire nation of Australia. So you need to express the reason behind so that you gain the empathy of the other side. And when you do that, what happens is that if you're looking at it at the, the scientific side, there's some element of uh, uh, secretions that are triggered in the brain of the listener or the reader because of the fact that you've expressed the why. If you were a bad person, they wouldn't care. But because you're a good person, that's why the empathy comes in. Now, I want to go too deep into the technical aspects unless you want me to but i want to say you need to express the why or the purpose because that will gain you a lot of empathy and compassion from your listeners yeah and this is what gideon and i were talking about before we started today we're talking about the power of narrative uh and gideon just talked about the purpose that is bigger than ourselves now we're very uh i guess very um, attuned to our characters as fiction authors and without that empathy and without that power of our narrative we won't have an audience at all. Gideon, uh, would you like to talk to us a little bit more about that power of the narrative? Yeah, I think that the power of the narrative drives the, 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 the story. It, it, it's the fuel. It's the fuel. It is the it is, the, it is the thing that gets your audience to be hooked. And one of the elements that I use in my own training is I, I've studied the elements of neuroscience and I've discovered that suspense is a very important part of a narrative. We can't give all the information at once. We need to drop little clues. We need to drop little things. We need to drop little... Uh, 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 tiny details that keep the 
reader or the listener engaged all the way, hoping to get a big reward at the end. So if you're talking about uh, the power of a narrative, I would say the narrative in itself is not powerful until you begin to put in all these other dramatic elements. For example, the suspense. For example, you put in uh, a few surprises. And of course, you also drop in some details because that, captu that captivates our sensory organs and that keeps us hoping and uh, dreaming that there's a bigger reward at the end. And what happens is that when you get to the end and you release that big reward, what happens is that the brain secretes dopamine. And we know that dopamine is a brain's reward system that uh, says, oh my goodness, ah, this was worth the journey, this was worth the wait, this was worth all the suspense. And if we don't do that, uh, we, we, we have failed in giving a narrative that is captivating and connecting with, with the audience. Yeah, and, and again, that sums up uh, what we're about as writers and it's the, the core reason I invited Gideon on today. We, we quite often talk about the romance of writing. We talk about the dreams and the aspirations. But that science of writing, that, that uh, I guess, connection in our brain, uh, we, we don't, I don't think we focus enough on that, Gideon. And you and I were talking before we started today about um, story versus data and what people remember. Uh, you're doing your doctoral studies in this area. Would you like to talk to us a little about what you've discovered so far? Okay. Um, just to clarify, I'm doing a doctorate in transformational uh, leadership, which is in education. However, the area of my interest that I want to study is on how to apply um, stories and narratives in the teaching of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or otherwise known as STEM out here in, in the U.S. And the reason why I, I, I am very passionate about this area, which I want to study, is that a while back I was teaching mathematics in uh, Reno, Nevada, and uh, it was very challenging for me to work with these at-risk teenagers to, to teach them mathematics. And I felt strongly that because I wasn't very good at math, I was able to convince every other person that they can do it as long as they give it a little try. And so I was giving it all my best, but there was no connection. Until I noticed that quite often when I got into class, they would ask me, hey, Mr. G., can you tell us a story about Africa? You grew up in Africa. Mr. G, can you tell us a story about Asia? You've lived in Asia. You've traveled all around the world. Can you teach us a couple of words in French? Then I stopped for a moment. I said, hmm, it means then that my students are more interested in some of these quick and quirky stories that I share more than the mathematics. So what I decided to do was start embedding my stories uh, into the teaching of mathematical concepts. I'll come before I will talk about Pythagoras' theorem, before I talk about polynomial function. I will find some other thing that would allow me, some other story, some other narrative that would allow me to engage them first before I presented the data. And I realized that over time, they started to connect a lot better. And when I was able to wrap my data around a story, I was able to wrap my quadratic equation my Pythagoras theorem around a story, 
they resonated a lot better with that. And so I just took that on the road and I said to myself, you know what? Uh, we need to do more in that area of being able to convey data, but data must be wrapped in stories because that's how the brain learns and that's how the brain remembers. And that's and I'm just I'm I'm sitting here, everybody, as as a teacher and as an educator, I think we have lost something, especially here in Australia, but I believe it's overseas as well. We're so busy testing and measuring and pouring content into our students' heads and then being disappointed that they don't remember it. And what Gideon's talking about today, and I'd love to bring him out and just tell everybody, uh, without Without knowing why they're learning, students just aren't getting the message. Uh, as you all know, I've got my teenage novel writing course here and my students uh, talk out their stories before they even write a word. So we're on Skype every every Sunday night and we're talking and we're giving, I guess, we're giving some kind of structure to our stories before we go off for the next week. Are you finding in your research, Gideon, that being able to visualise uh, what we're doing makes such a huge difference? I do think so. And the reason is that uh, the visual... Of course, we know about the, the theory of multiple intelligences from uh, Howard Gardner. And I think that uh, some learners are particularly good at visualization or they, 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 they have a stronger capability in that area. So I, I think that if we can embed a little bit of visualization into our training, it will be particularly good for the students that have a stronger capability in that area. And so... There are some moments when in my workshops, I'll tell uh, the, the workshop participants, imagine, imagine that this and that and that happens. Imagine X, Y, Z. Imagine a horse that is standing by a river. There is someone beside that person. The purpose of doing that is to create a picture in their mind. And again, we know that from neuroscience that our brains retain more information when pictures are used. So yes, I agree with you, visualization can go a long way. And we can embed that into our training, into our teaching, into our writing, because it goes a long way in helping the reader or the listener to remember the information for a much longer time. Because what happens there is that it creates what is called an episodic moment. And if you can create an episodic moment with some visual details, that information is retained by the brain for a much longer time and you become unforgettable or that scene becomes unforgettable. Yeah, and uh, as writers, uh, Gideon, uh, you may be very well aware that anything to do with science and maths makes our makes our eyes glaze over. And I think it's a fantastic thing <laughs> that um, we are actually, I guess, bringing the two together, bringing science and storytelling together because what you've got to offer helps us as storytellers as much as it helps the kids understand, I guess, their science and their maths. It helps us as storytellers connect with a wider audience in a way that we perhaps would not have done before. And it's all about crafting our message. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the crafting is a big part. We cannot wing it. We are not smart enough to wing it. Maybe we can, but I think most often we really need to take the time to uh, craft it because when you craft it, you pay attention to the details. 
and the brain remembers uh, visual or sensory details. When you craft it, you have a bit of time to reflect about it and see how it would be able to engage somebody. And when you craft it, you can even test it. And if you don't craft it, you can't test it. And if you can't test it, you're not sure if it's going to work over and over. And so I, I'm trying to come from a scientific uh, uh, position whereby I want to say, if I teach this method today and it works, can I teach it again tomorrow? And so what I'm trying to do very often is uh, try to cut it down to the chase and see what are the core elements that would make my story or make my explanation to come to life every time that I go about doing it across cultures, across countries, across different regions, I want to be able to elicit the same kind of emotions and make the message to stand out. Yeah, and I've been doing a little bit of reading around world stories, and I'm pretty excited about it. I was reading an article in The New Internationalist about how uh, world stories are coming to the fore, and there's a lady in America who's doing this uh, big essay on on how we're reaching out with our stories and I think as storytellers that's the most exciting thing of all that we can reach so many people. Uh, we're talking about the core elements of a story. Would you like to take us through those very briefly? Okay. Um, I have studied with different authors, with different uh, industry figures and I came up with my own uh, five elements. Is that okay if I share mine with you? We would love you to share those, Gideon, and I'm going to write them down as well. <laughs> Thank you. And, and if you get, if you manage, if you end up getting the book, you will see it there. But I call them the five G's of a compelling story, or the five G's of a captivating story. And and, and I would say this is based on reading or studying with uh, over a hundred different uh, masters in the field. Now. My 5G stands for, um, the concept is give a good guy a goal and he would go accomplish it. So the first G is give a good guy a worthwhile goal. And that good guy could be David. David is going after Goliath. He wants to win Goliath because if he wins Goliath, he would pre protect his tribe and his tribesmen from the, 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 from the, from the, 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 the threat of extinction from Goliath. <clears throat> so the first G is give a good guy a goal. The second G is Goliath. Put a big obstacle, a massive obstacle in the way of the good guy. That's the second G. And that good, that good guy has to fight with the Goliath in order to be able to succeed. So the third G is they get into a dwell. They get into a dwell. And that dwell could mean it could be a physical dwell. It could be an emotional dwell. It could be, uh, it could be circumstantial. In other words, it could be a good guy wants to go to school, but the economy in his country doesn't allow him to do so. So that's the dwell. Now the, the fourth G is a guru. A guru is a helper. A guru is a mentor. A guru is somebody that comes to set the good guy free from the, from the dwell with Goliath that is almost killing the good guy. So the guru is the one that helps the good guy to finish the fight because he can fight it all by himself. He's not that strong. 
or even if he's strong, he doesn't have all the wisdom that the world provides. So the guru comes in to reframe or to give him a little notch in the right direction. And the last G stands for a guru, uh, uh, sorry, a gift or a payoff. What is the lesson that we should learn from this fight between the good guy and the Goliath? That gift is very, very important. Without that gift, the fifth G, without that, without that gift, the story is um, lost in translation, so to speak. So the G must be able to wrap up everything and let us know what was the essence of the story, what was the essence of the narrative. And a good uh, gift should be less than 10 words long. It must not be more than 10 words. In other words, it should be a sound bite. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pausing here because um, I was wondering whether you were going to add any more to that. So those five, those five Gs of a captivating story, and I want to link those to the art and science of story because at, at, uh, at the moment we've been talking about maths and science, and now mm-hmm. we're bringing in a little bit of that art of storytelling uh, that every mm-hmm. one of us can relate to. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess tapping into that wisdom of, of world storytelling and being able to relate to people at that very basic level. Uh, mm-hmm. We always think about science as, and in the current uh, world, we always think about science as being very, very practical. But right back in the Middle Ages, science was considered an art form. I see. That's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it was exploring the world. Our scientists um, and our artists were revered equally. Um, I see. Yeah, science, if scientists didn't explore and weren't creative, we wouldn't have, I guess we wouldn't have the discoveries that's, that we have today. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, so as, as you and I are talking and as, as you were wa- uh, walking us through your five steps, it did remind me of, of Renaissance times when we had our early astronomers and we had our early explorers and we had our early discoverers. It was, it's pretty exciting to think that that art of storytelling, which is, which is what you're an expert in, uh, and us as writers today, uh, we we have so much in common. Uh, so even though your book is, I guess, pointed towards business and branding and getting getting that message out there in a very practical way, you've mm-hmm. tapped very much into the art of storytelling. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think my roots are in storytelling in in the sense that I started out researching or reading up about storytelling uh, because I wanted to be a better uh, communicator. And the piece that relates to the underlying science, which is the neuroscience element, I only discovered in the last five years and only got really, really serious about it when I discovered that uh, I wanted to make it the focus of my book. But you're right. Um, uh, Even though the book was focused at people in, in business settings, I think that I'm using elements of it in teaching uh, in school. I'm using elements of it when I develop programs for younger people because that's when I leverage the art more than the science. But when I want to use the science, probably if I'm talking to a nonprofit group that's going out for uh, fundraising and they want to see how they can embed pieces of the science into their storytelling so that they would increase uh, the number of people that are uh, contributing to their cause. But I, I agree with you in a classroom setting. I would focus a little bit more on on the art and uh, only occasionally drop in elements of the science. 
Yeah, and a lot of my listeners, hello everybody out there, I get so wrapped up in my conversations, uh, we <laughs> write our non-fiction books as well and they're usually how-to books, how to write, how to this. Um, the one I'm working on is Do You Have a Story to Tell? And wow. it, it's all very romantic and it's all very good to have that oh it feels very good to write a story but you bring in that branding element you bring in that marketing element you bring in that very firm focus on why we're doing it yes i try to bring that in because uh, that would make the message uh likable it will make the message credible and it will make the message memorable so likable Credible and memorable, which is what uh, uh, brand brand uh, people crave for that. But at the same time, by the same token, every individual, every one of us, we crave to be likable. We crave to be credible, to be believable. Because if we are not believable, nobody wants to uh, engage with us. And at the same time, we want to be memorable. So I think that the same concepts that may be more uh, practical for a business are equally more practical for for us as an individual, as a, as a teacher, as an educator, as a principal, don't you want to be memorable to your students? Of course, I think you want to be. Don't you want to be likable? Of course you want to be. Don't you want to be a credible uh, educator? We all want to. And even as a young student, don't you want to be credible to your parents and your community? I think you want to be. So I think uh, those values can be uh, shifted from a brand from a business sec- as a perspective to an individual perspective as well. Yeah, and, and what I was talking about with Gideon earlier, and it's, it's again, it's I guess it's my focus. I see so many people start a project and it drifts off into nowhere without that planning and without that purpose. Uh, there is no reason to continue. If, if we take some of your strategies, Gideon, and we apply it to our own writing, I'm guessing that that will give us, a, I guess, a stronger impetus to, to finish our stories? Yes. I think if you, if you spend a bit of time um, defining your why, uh, even for you, because like Campbell, Joseph Campbell, the, the famous uh, mythology said, we are all on a journey too. We're just like the characters that we are describing in our stories. So if we spend some time uh, defining where we're going, defining or thinking through and reflecting on why we're doing it, our purpose, I think it would really give us enough uh, uh, fuel, enough uh, energy to keep going even when things get uh, tough. For example, I, I moved here recently from Singapore, moved to U.S. from Singapore, and I have to restart my business here in U.S., with zero customers. Now it's about a year and two or three months. And now I have well over a dozen customers, uh, not all of whom are giving me business every month. But when I think about my purpose, when I think about the fact that this is a a business that I may need for the long haul, I I, I come all the way from Africa and I I come here for a purpose. I want to be a good person. I want to be able to give as much as possible to the people that I meet and to the people back home in Africa. So I'm not going to spare any single stone. I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. So in other words, what I'm saying is my purpose, because I've mapped it out, I've mapped out why this is important to me, I'm not going to let anything stand in the way. Sometimes I I get rejections. You reject me a few times, 
uh, it doesn't matter. I had a big project recently, but I know the person had turned her back on me like six times. By the seventh time, she opened up the door, and there I had two projects, and now she's promising on bringing me back next year. So it took a while, but I remember the why. I remember that nobody owes me a living. Nobody's going to do it except me. I have to be able to do it. So I just keep going because my why or my purpose is so dominant, is so important. I cannot turn around and ask anyone else to do it for me. Yeah, and that brings us right back to uh, our passion and why we do these things. I, I just think the idea of bringing science to the art is is just a wonderful idea. But as I said, I think what you're doing is you're just relinking uh I guess a connection that has been broken over time and the exciting part about what you do or the exciting thing about what you do Gideon is the whole world now is is connecting through story and yes. because we're all from different backgrounds and because we're from all over the world and because we all have different experiences I mm-hmm. think what you're doing is you're tapping into that that very basic understanding that we have about who we are. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your business. Okay, thank you. I think uh, my business um, is focused on helping people tell captivating stories that connect and uplift others. And by others, I'm referring to customers, I'm referring to prospects, I'm referring to students, I'm referring to the community members that we serve. And my business, I work mostly with small uh, business owners, with uh, SMEs or small business uh, medium-sized enterprises. I also coach some uh, professionals who are doing presentations. But you are very right in, in mentioning that story is a common framework. It's a common framework uh, that we all can share, whether I was in Asia, in Middle East, in Africa, in Europe, or here. Whenever I share a story, I, I find that everyone is able to connect with it. Everyone is able to take something away from it. So I had to shift the focus of my business from a crisis communication back in Asia to storytelling because I realized that, hey, here is the one thing that all of us can relate to. Here's the one thing that all of us have something to say about it. And uh, occasionally I would go into some rooms or into some training halls uh, with, with, with no understanding of whom I'm going to meet. But at the end of the day, when we start to share our stories, like you said, we realize that we all we are connected by what I call a worldwide web of story, worldwide web of story. But until you start sharing, you don't know that you're connected to the other person. You see, when you started sharing, when Howard, uh, Park Howard started sharing, then we got connected. And now, <laughs> who knows who else is going to come into this conversation after today because of the, that common denominator, which is our story. And that's what my business promotes. Yeah, and I'm very excited to be speaking to Gideon today. And when I started the conversation with him, I did say, I'm not quite sure where this is going to go. But as I'm sitting here and I'm talking to him now, I'm, I work very closely with an educator here in Australia, uh, Gideon, called Cole Jones, and he's very much into entrepreneurship. And he travels mm-hmm. all over the world speaking as an entrepreneur educator. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm certainly going to ask him to, to get in touch with you about your science 
science of storytelling because we need to bring it into the educational world. We need to be teaching through story, not through data, and, and we need your research to give it credibility because you mentioned the word art and people tune out. You mentioned the word science and people start to start to listen. So I yeah. think your message is a very, very strong one. Now you talk about strategies in your book. Do you have some strategies for us? Okay. Um, strategies, I am assuming um, strategies, uh, are you talking about strategies in terms of Telling your story in a compelling way, or strategies uh, of using your story to 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 gain a market for for for, I, for yourself. I think we're interested in uh, using uh, marketing strategies to get our message heard because it's very noisy out there um, in that big wide world. It's very hard to get out get our stories out there. Um, okay. Yeah, what what do we do? Okay, that's a great question, uh, Melinda, and I and I'm researching every, I'm learning about it every single day. For example, um, how do I ensure that people know that I have a story, and that they too have a story that matters, and that each and every one of us, our story matters. Our story is very important. So, the strategies that I use uh, to be able to get the word out, for example, is I talk to groups, community groups. Uh, by community groups, I'm referring to the Rotary Clubs. I'm referring to uh, Chambers of Commerce. I go out and make presentations on the, 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 the power of uh, storytelling in public engagement or in family uh, unity or in uh, uh, teaching of science subjects with uh, the use of stories. So, if you send me into a group that has to do with teachers, then I'll try to highlight to them uh, why they need stories to be able to engage students. So what I'm saying is community groups, that's one of the strategies that I use to get the word out about what I'm doing. The other um, element that I also use um, is list holders, people who run shows like yours. I'm very fortunate to come on your show and uh, once in a while, I approach those that uh, maybe uh, they, they, they may have a podcast, they may have uh, a, 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 a blog that is attracting a number of people. So I use that as a strategy to emphasize that we all have a story and that story matters. We must step out there and share it because you never know whom your story is going to touch, encourage, or inspire. Then, of course, I also do a lot of writing. And when I write, I share it either through my blog or I share it to uh, my subscribers. That's another way or another strategy of me getting the word out that I am relevant, that uh, my story counts, and I believe that every other person's story also matters. So I use my own writing uh, through my blog and through my e-newsletter to reach out to more people. Now, there are a couple of other ways, but I don't know if you, you still have the time for me to to continue talking about that, but the three that I've outlined are community groups, uh, list holders, and writing or blogging. Yeah, I, I think writing and blogging. I tried blogging, Gideon, um, mm -hmm. but 
I just got bored because <laughs> uh, I didn't have I didn't have anyone to talk back to me. Uh, so I love I love the podcast, and I know mm-hmm. blogging has been going for a long time now. And people make a lot of money, and they get their message out um, very much by blogging. I love fiction, reading books. I love reading um, essays and academic things. So I'm I'm very keen to see what mm-hmm. you're doing with your with your doctoral studies. Uh, but I think. Because what would it still be two thirds of the world uh, don't have that ability to to communicate their stories to a wider audience? I'm going to suggest mm-hmm. that you have only scratched the surface of what what you're doing. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and what we're doing, we've only scratched the surface because it's only now that. I guess we're being connected in a way that we never have before, but we're in That's first right. world countries. I'm thinking about the countries that are only just discovering um, yes. the internet and discovering ebooks and discovering that yes. not only can they listen to everyone else's stories, they can mm-hmm. tell their own. So if you've got plans to go back to Africa and, oh, yes. and really encourage people there to tell their stories. Oh my goodness! They are some of the best storytellers we can find anywhere, and and uh, like you said, we are just scratching the surface because the the bigger part of the world is not connected to internet. But one other strategy that I have started developing, which I hope you can also consider, is story performance. That means doing a live show, doing a live performance in a way that you engage more people, and actually show them how the story art and the story science combined together can produce magic on stage. So I have been uh, trying to do that. And what I do is I create characters and let the characters tell the story of somebody that has been significant in history. And the other quick strategy that I want to mention is speaking at conferences. But um, without dwelling on those last two uh, uh, strategies, which is performance and conferences, I want to mention that I do have bigger plans of returning to Africa and when I return, I hope that I would have honed the skill so well, so much so that if I have to, if I get the opportunity to tell stories from other parts of the world on stages in Africa, I will be delighted to say, okay, this is what I learned from America. This is what I learned from Australia. This is what I learned from living in Singapore. This is what I learned from China. So um, what I'm trying to suggest here is that now that I'm beginning to learn dramatic storytelling or comedic storytelling, I hope that when I return to Africa, either on vacation or I return uh, for retirement, I will be able to take the stories that I've learned from across the world and take them on a stage and share them with other people. And if I can share that, hopefully I will be able to coach some other young people that will be able to do that. But I do agree that there are some fascinating stories that are untold in the developing world that we really need to be able to capture those stories because they'll be good for all humanity. Yeah, and you can hear the passion in in Gideon's voice. It takes a while sometimes, doesn't it, everybody? Um, and we've been listening here for half an hour, but it takes a while to tap into the passions of our guests. Gideon, <laughs> um, I wrote a little bit of a blog and I'm developing it into an essay. Stories are breaking down the international literary boundaries and is there any better time to be a storyteller? <laughs> There's no better time than now. I can tell, I can agree with you, Melinda. There's, no, there's never been any better time because look at the various media that we have. We got 
online, we have offline, we have video, we have audio, we have all of these tools that we can use to get our story out. So I think I'm grateful that you are uh, you are a champion, you're a story champion out there, and you are encouraging young people to write, to tell, and educators and families, please, I think what you're doing, this is, this is the best that it's ever been, and we must be able to capture this win, because I want to end by saying there is a story renaissance going on around the world today. A story renaissance, because science had dominated the world for too long. But we discovered that science by itself wasn't enough in communicating values. So we are slowly returning to where we came from, which is we are story animals, and that's the way that we think, that's the way that we talk, that's the way that we communicate, that's the way that we make meaning of the world. So I agree with you. Uh, there's never been a better time for storytelling around the world. Yeah, and that's a that's a fantastic place to finish. Uh, story renaissance. I'm actually going to encourage um, Gideon to go back and have a look at that uh, renaissance period because I think you'll find we've come full circle. And um, with your doctoral studies, it'll be a great time to make that link uh, and and say. I, I think we became very practical with our science um, probably in the early 19th century until now it's become very formulaic. Um, bringing the story back really, really excites me. Gideon, I'd love to invite you back on the show um, and maybe a little bit down the track when you're further into your studies because I'm very keen to hear what you learn and how <laughs> your story develops. Oh, I am so grateful and I, would, I wouldn't hesitate at all. And if you don't mind, I was willing, uh, I wanted to offer something to your listeners. Is, is that okay? I think, uh, hey, we, we love it, don't we, guys? We, yes, please do. Thank, thank you. For anyone that is curious to continue learning and to discover a little bit more about some of the things that I've been uh, learning, they can go to http colon slash slash, that's forward slash, of course, storywarrior.us slash connect. Um, that is, uh, I would even send this link to you, but again, it's HTTP colon slash slash storywarrior, which is one word, dot US and forward slash connect. So they would see, uh, they'll get a little piece, a document that explains how I approach uh, telling captivating stories, and I've looked at both the, the art and the science. It's a very succinct document, and I'm sure that anybody that's curious about telling would find that very, very useful. And And I'm so grateful for, for the opportunity to have been on this uh, show today with, the, with you, Melinda. Thank you very much. And yeah. uh, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going forward. <laughs> ah, yeah, and I'll, I'll put that link on our show notes, everybody. Um, story warrior I just I love your title Gideon I want to be a story I want to be a story warrior everybody um, <laughs> thank you for listening and that's it for another episode on Rider on the Road we'll see you next week uh, bye for now 